I'll accept your invitation. Thank you. God is a powerful God. Now, I've always known that, even when I was a little boy. I remember being in Sunday school, and I got the lesson that God could just speak a word, and something would happen. Let there be light, and the earth was filled with light. Uh, I'm going to send a flood, and the entire world was flooded with water. That's a powerful God. He sometimes worked through other individuals. Moses, tell the people to go forward. And they stepped into the Red Sea, and the water spread apart for them. Joshua, march the people around the city of Jericho seven times, seven days, shout. And the walls came a tumbling down. That's powerful. He could have a man like David, perhaps only a little boy named David, who faced down the meanest giant that ever lived, and Goliath took a tumble when he slung a rock with his slingshot at him. I always knew God was a powerful God. And and, and what could you say about Jesus? What do you remember? You first learned about him. He walks on water. He gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He causes the lame to be able to walk readily. He enables the dead to come back to life. Are you having some trouble with me here? What am I doing? Okay, how are you hearing me now? Can you hear me okay way, way in the back? Okay. God can enable us to create little instruments that enable us to project our voices to the far corners of the room. That's a powerful God. We were talking about the power of Jesus. He could cause the dead to rise. He himself spent hours agonizing on a cross died three days in the grave, and he rose again. Now, that's a powerful God. And as a little boy, I felt like I had a lot of experience that really affirmed this powerful God. I I early appreciated the, the beauty of a starlit sky. Now, I grew up in the city of Minneapolis, and we didn't have as beautiful starlit skies as we do when we get out in the wilderness. I appreciated the beauty of snow on a mountaintop or the beauty of a red sunset over a blue lake or the beauty of watching a mighty river flowing through a huge, broad valley. God's done a lot of great things for us. I was impressed by the power that was unleashed with the weather. As a little boy, my parents had a hard time getting me to go to bed when there were thunderstorms or even tornado reports in the area because I wanted to see. It was exciting. I remember the joy of watching the snow pile up toward the uh, front porch of our house. Don't you enjoy snow? (laughs) There's a sense of God's power experienced in that. Shall I just... Um, 
Okay. Can I try this? Oh, you want to walk around with it? Yeah, if I may. Well, then I'll give you this one. Okay. I'll give you a different one. I'm, I'm technologically challenged. How are we doing now? Okay. Let me explain again. We're talking about God being powerful. Okay. So as a little boy, I would have these experiences of seeing the great things that God was doing. Well, I, it began to play out in a more personal fashion. Um, I grew up on a Bible college campus in Minneapolis right after the Second World War. And the enrollment swelled at that time. In fact, it grew approximately five times uh, what it was in just a three-year period. And most of that enrollment growth was coming because of the so-called GI Bill. Some of you younger ones may not know about that, but they made it possible for the men primarily coming back from war to be able to go to college. And men who had been fighting a war came back with the sense that there's a lot of need out in that world, and it needs to be met by more than just bombs and bullets. And uh, they wanted to study in order to be able to preach the gospel. And I saw missionaries going out from that setting. So the distant places in the world that had only recently become known to Americans through battles being fought there were now places where the gospel was being carried. We have a powerful God. There was an instance where a man by the name of G. J. Russell Morse uh, was a missionary who was captured in about 1949 by the, the Chinese Communist forces under Mao Zedong, moving into uh, China where the uh, Morses had been serving as missionaries for many years. They never even evacuated during the Second World War. And they had a broad, broad influence in China. But J. Russell Morse was captured. We got word that he was being tortured, that he was being starved, he was being held in solitary confinement. And my family joined families all across America in praying for this J. Russell Morse. And then we got the word that after about 18 months, he had been taken unceremoniously from his cell uh, in a pickup truck, taken to the border with Hong Kong, and just dumped there at the border. And he walked across, and the word came back to America. My dad uh, put in a phone call to the people in contact with him, and within a couple of months, he was uh, in Minneapolis preaching in the largest gathering that ever took place at Minnesota Bible College. And I remember that testimony that he gave as he reflected on how God had been with him in the midst of that darkness. And I had the feeling as a little boy you better not mess with me and my God. Even the power of communism cannot uh, stand against what God can do. 
That's a little boy's perspective. Gradually, some maturity began to encroach on me. I didn't want it all, and I've resisted quite a bit of maturity on to this day. But that maturity uh, began to raise questions about the rather simple look that I had at God's power. There was a tough kid from the projects who uh, was I was in school with, a fellow named George, and he somehow targeted me as the special target for his bullying. And he knew things about being tough and being rough and being deeply, deeply annoying that I did not understand, and I dreaded it and I hated it. And I remember praying to God that his bullying would stop. And it did not. He kept on doing that over several years. I remember some incidents where we prayed for things where we did not seem to get the answer that we thought we ought to be getting. And I began wondering about how is God providing his care for us. I remember uh, encountering the awareness that my teachers in public school, for the most part, did not seem to share my faith in God, would perhaps give a dismissive comment when uh, a faith expression was made. It seemed to me that they saw faith as something that is just more irrelevant, perhaps a little bit cute or quaint. And I entered into that kind of thing that I suspect many of you have gotten into. I believe in God. I believe God's powerful, but I notice that God isn't doing things the way I think I would be doing them if I were God. And I wasn't so sure then just where to put the power of God. It got challenging for me. And on through life, we begin to experience those situations where we pray. We have a list of prayer concerns. Sometimes the prayers get answered as we wish. Sometimes they're not answered the way we wish. And then wonder, is God powerful? Is he answering our prayer? Is he providing for us? About 25 years ago, Zachary came into my life. Zachary was my grandson. I think I've mentioned him to you. Zachary, oh my, I was ready to be a grandpa. I really do love children. Zachary, however, from the earliest stage, there were some things that just were not right. He was my first grandson, had all kinds of visions of what this little grand boy is going to do. At the age of two months, I held a dying baby in my arms. His heart was failing. Um, it, it's a frightening thing to see. But he went. To, we took him to a pedocardiologist. I didn't even know about pedocardiologists before. Uh, they understand that the his heart was about the size of a walnut, about that big. When I saw my child, my grandchild obviously dying, his fingers turning blue, his heart rate around 180, I honestly would have given my own heart if it would have saved him. 
My wife explained to me, no, your heart's a little bit bigger than that, but not uh, big enough to be able to take it from my body and keep him alive. And um, yet when he was, the surgery was over, the cardiologist gave the prediction, this little boy is healed now. He will live a normal life. He didn't live a normal life. Zachary was profoundly disabled. He never spoke a word. He never established eye contact with us. He never stood on his feet. He never threw a ball. I prayed that he might be able to do the things that other little boys could do. It never happened. I had people who said they'd prayed and they'd have been affirmed by God that he would be well. But at the age of 18, Zachary died. I've walked through other experiences. I watched both of my parents through their process of uh, extended illness and death. I walked with my wife through 10 years of her uh, suffering from Alzheimer's and eventually dying. And through all these instances, I soaked my pillow at night in tears, praying, God, here's what I would that you could do for us. And each of these persons has not gotten what I was praying they would have. And so we challenge ourselves because I know that the stories I'm telling here are stories for which you have your own parallels. We've prayed and God did not answer as we wanted him to. What are our options? Well, someplace along the line, I got acquainted with the verse that's printed on the front page of the bulletin. It reads, and it's it's printed in the King James Version there, um, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Uh, this is one of those trans, one of those scriptures where your translation does make a bit of a difference. And, um, if you, uh, would look at the, uh, Bible in your, uh, pew in the back, you'll find the New International Version is translated in a slightly different way. It's translated, in all things God works for good. Now, notice the pretty significant difference in this instance. Now, I love the old King James translation. There's a beauty in its uh, poetry, a beauty in the uh, phrasing. But in this instance, the translators did not actually care uh, get the character of what the apostle said, because what the apostle said is more accurately presented in the New International Version. It's not all things working together for good because you love God. Note, note the important. Where's the subject of that sentence? Things. And what's it dependent upon? You loving God. So if I love God by that idea, that means God's going to do what I tell him to do. At least that's how, how it would be perceived. But what it's actually saying is, in the midst of every situation, God is still at work. 
Now, there are some different ways to try to approach this, and that's what I'd like to uh, share with you here. One way is to suggest that God is a puppet. And this is communicated by people. It's a position that's held by people. They may not call him a puppet, but it basically says, God will do whatever I ask him to do. God will uh, respond as I speak to him, and that will be how God is providing for me. Uh, you'll see people sometimes on television shows on Sunday morning who are claiming some special power in being able to call God to take the action that we have told him to take. I saw this one time. I was uh, visiting a uh, tent revival out on the Navajo uh, reservation in northern Arizona. And uh, as the revival was uh, going on, the man was, was preaching, and a man hobbled into the tent uh, with a cane and worked his way with a great deal of difficulty to the seat. And the preacher saw that man and he announced to the congregation, God is going to do a miracle right now. And he went down into the congregation, grabbed the man, picked him up, pulled him on up, steadied him to the front, and he prayed over him. And he declared at the close of his prayer, this man is now healed. And uh, everybody cheered. And the man turned, and he had to catch himself and work his way back to his seat. And he, the preacher explained, the only reason he's still limping is that it's been a habit for him and he hasn't been able to break the limping habit just yet. Now, notice what happened. The implication is that actually the one saying the prayer is the one who has the power. And God has to respond to us because this is what we are naming and claiming. The people saw that, and I think their impression was simply, he wasn't really healed, but a miracle has been performed is the declaration. And across our land, there are people who are claiming special power. God works through what I do. That's making God our puppet. But the second mode may be even more common. It's God is our puppeteer. This suggests that God is involved in every detail of life. He's working, pulling the strings. Now we're talking about marionettes, pulling the strings in a way to make everything happen that is going on. So that if I'm driving down to a... uh, a shopping mart. They still have them, I understand, even though Amazon.com is at work. Drive to a shopping mart, and there's a parking spot available for me right in front of a store where I'd kind of like to go in. So I go into Dick's Sporting Goods, and I have a particular yin for something I've been wanting to buy because I need some more sporting goods to be able to store in my house and not use as much as I want. But God wanted me to have that 
because he made that parking space available. And uh, if I happen to need a new pickup truck, and I'm really feeling the need for a new pickup truck. I don't have a pickup truck right now. And I'm driving home, and I see a nice, shiny red pickup truck for sale uh, sitting out in front of one of your houses. I'll know that God wants me to have that pickup truck. And with this approach, it's a, it's a, a careful dance that's done. We're saying there's no need too small for God to be attentive to it. And there's no desire of my heart that is too large for me to not go after it if I can ascribe the responsibility of it to God. God's the one who wants me to drive that new pickup truck. Don't you all agree? May I hear you? Let me hear an amen. So that, that kind of approach. God is a uh, puppeteer, but it also means that when the bad things are happening, they are also credited to God. A woman whom I knew for many years who was a deeply godly woman happened as a child to have suffered polio in her back and was left with post-polio syndrome that in her adult years began to create intense, intense pain in her back. She had an extended series of surgeries, and yet by middle age, this is about as straight as she could stand up. And her life was a life where she still lived a life of godliness and prayer, but her back uh, immobilized her. And a Christian friend said to her, you need to confess your secret sin to God so that he can quit punishing you for your sin by making you crippled. You notice that kind of statement kind of implies that the one who's making this making the statement has no sin. You know, if if I had a secret sin, then God would be punishing me too. But since I don't, since I'm not being punished that way, obviously I'm sinless. And it's a, a suggestion that God is actually acting in that kind of punitive way. It's an attitude that the Pharisees, who were always attacking Jesus, would have been very, very happy with because it fits them very well. But it's an attitude that in essence says God is intrinsically and intensively involved in every area of our life, but it's all for my good and probably for your bad. It basically puts us in the place of God. My wants, my whims, I project upon God, and uh, then I don't have to be responsible for any of it. So God might be a puppet at our command where he has to do everything we've told him to do. You know, we're we are encouraged to pray for one another. We are encouraged to pray for kingdom needs, for personal needs, physical needs, for brothers and sisters. But never are we instructed to tell God exactly what God should do or to assume that the whim of my heart is what has to be the whim or the intent of God's heart. That's the balance between the puppet and the puppeteer. Is there another option? Yes, I think there is.
God is not a puppet. God is not a puppeteer. God is God. God, you see, has shown his love toward us. He has shown us his son. God loves, absolutely. God gives his son to us. God forgives our sins. God dwells within us. He abides within us. You see, what God actually offers is presence. Presence that may well face difficult, challenging moments where we don't know exactly what the best outcome is going to be. But God will be gracious, and he will be through it all. And we actually may demonstrate our faith more by our accepting God's presence through the trial, through the pain, through the alienation, through the working with human relationships that are uh, fractured, He's with us in the midst, still encouraging us to carry on, and we see his love more that way than if we can just stand back and smugly say, okay, God, you're going to have to do it all, and I'm not going to be involved. You see, God being alive within us empowers, challenges, encourages, but it's always a partnership that in essence says There is an end time where I will still be with you always. Well, what do we do with this kind of perception? I look back on my own personal life and I wonder, where was God when George was bullying me? God did not bulk me up on steroids so that I would become the strong, mighty man that George would run away from. He didn't do that. I do think there was something that happened. I learned a little bit about dealing with unfair situations. I learned a little bit about dealing with uncertainty and how another person is uh, trying to treat me. I learned something about deciding to continue my choice of behavior in spite of what's going on around me, and so I did not choose to become a bully. (laughs) Little kids have a harder time being bullies anyhow, but I didn't make that choice. In, In essence, somehow, through that experience, which I don't think God put upon me at all, but somehow I matured somehow I grew how did God work with me with Zachary Zachary who never spoke a word taught me a lot about absolute unconditional love Zachary taught me some things about patience he taught me some Things about the theology involved in tears. The way in which all of that comes together, and I have confidence in God's love for that little boy. In fact, 
if you like, a little bit of projection on it. This is me understanding uh, how God works. In the end time, there will be a time that I anticipate getting to heaven, and I don't know quite what it's like. But my vision is that there's going to be a little boy sitting on a golden curb who's going to look up, and his first words that come from his lips are lips that I never heard from his, are words that I never heard from his lips. Hi, Grandpa. And he's going to get up and run to me, and he's going to hug me, and he say, Grandpa, I love you too. Somehow, there's the anticipation that in the final time, things are made right. What did I gain? How was God with me through the time of Mary's death, her long time with Alzheimer's? I learned some patience, things I didn't really know before. How many times can the same question be asked and not be treated as, you've already asked that question. I learned how to deal with that, and and it's gotten me into some roles now, a little over a year later, that I never fully anticipated. In Lincoln, Illinois, I lead the Alzheimer's Support Group. Uh, two Sundays from now, after church, I'll be headed to Springfield to... Uh, host a table at a health fair for the Alzheimer's Association. And somehow, God has used me and equipped me in areas that I never even set as a uh, professional goal. But I'm able to serve other people with that uh, that ailment. And somehow, God's been at work uh, in the midst. There are numerous circumstances where in the middle of it, I have despaired because I could not figure out exactly what God is doing. And the problem is, I'm not God, but God is God. And if indeed God is God, then I can simply accept his presence. He's working with me. And I have the confidence both that he's abiding with me in this present day and whatever we're working with, I need to be seeking his help, seeking his guidance, asking him to change my heart in such a way that I might be able to be helpful to whatever the situation is and living life with the confidence that in the long run, God still abides, and he is my God. I'd like for you to have that same measure of confidence. I'm working with it uh, quite a number of years. It still is a challenge for me. I'm not expecting that it's to be simple, easy, clear-cut for everyone, but it is absolutely the best way If you would like to allow God to be not just a crutch, not just a symbol, not just an idea out there, but to be your partner in life, that's what the incarnation of Jesus Christ is really all about. That's what Christ wants to be for you, accepted as your Savior, as your partner, as you live your life for him. 
we're going to be singing a uh, closing hymn. And this hymn is a, uh, a statement that is similar to what we've just been talking about. When peace like a river attends my way, when, when all of a sudden the phrasing isn't coming, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my thought, you've taught me to say it's well, it is well with my soul. I'd like for you to be experiencing the wellness that God wants to place in your heart and in your life as he places you in his community.